Well, good morning, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Welcome to our first online church service. I'd like you to imagine as we begin this morning, your brothers and sisters from across our community and across our country, for those of uh, you who may be in a warmer weather climate, all of us together, uh, we might be separated by miles, we might be separated by streets and blocks, but as we're together this morning, we can be together, united as one body, listening together, joining all across this community uh, for our Sunday morning worship service. We are meeting online like this for a season for two reasons. First, we really want to cooperate with our health officials and experts who are encouraging us to practice what we know as social distancing, where we are encouraged to uh, not gather together and to be apart from one another so that we have the best opportunity to disrupt this COVID-19 virus that is going around. But we really also want to uh, recognize that we are uh, suspending our church services out of love for one another. Significant part of our congregation is in the at-risk group uh, for contracting this illness, and we certainly don't want to contribute to anybody contracting this illness. And we also want to express love for our community because we don't want anyone from our church getting infected while we're together and then going out into the community and spreading the disease that way. So for this morning and for the foreseeable future, we're going to be meeting online like this. We encourage you to, in the future, gather your friends together to watch with you and uh, we can experience our church service together uh, through the amazing provision of technology that God has given to us. I'd like to begin with an encouragement from God's Word, which is taken from the book of Hebrews, beginning with verse 19, where the writer says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and, and then he goes on to give a lot of detail about typology, but with that statement, I just want to pause and say there is no virus that can keep us from being together at the throne of grace. The writer tells us that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And then he says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because he who promised is faithful. God is faithful, and he will not allow us to be enveloped in a trial such as this, beyond what we, he will enable us to endure. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be some difficulty, maybe even some suffering. Some of us may have friends and relatives who contract the coronavirus. We ourselves may contract it. Although at this point, it's highly unlikely that those of us in the Three Lakes area uh, are going to be at serious risk. But you never know, we might. More realistically, we will probably experience some financial hardships, maybe some family stresses over the next several months. And so as we face this circumstance, that promise from God's word is that he will meet us in our suffering, he will reveal himself to us, and he will be faithful. Because the Bible says that he 
who promised is faithful. And so with that thought in mind, I'd like to begin our time together this morning by uniting our hearts in prayer for one another and for our nation as we experience these unprecedented times uh, because of the virus that is uh, spreading across our country. Please join with me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you today that we have the assurance that you will be faithful to your promises which tell us that you are encouraging us, that you are providing for us, that you are lifting our spirits, that you are caring for us, and that nothing will come into our lives except that which you give permission to enter into our lives. So Lord, we thank you that we have confidence to enter the most holy place, to come before your throne because of Jesus. We thank you that he is our high priest, welcoming us into your presence. We thank you that he is our intercessor, that he comes on our behalf. And we thank you, Lord, that as you have so often told us in your word, that you are the God who is faithful to your promise. Lord, we're joined together today for our nation and our community. We pray, Father, that you would stem the spread of this virus. We pray, Lord, that you would provide for those that are sent into difficulty because of the restrictions that are necessary for us as we seek to deal with it. Please provide for those who are confined to their homes, who may be lonely. I pray, Lord, that you would provide for those who are in need, whether it be food or prescriptions, I pray, Lord, that you would come alongside of them and that you would be their provider. Lord, thank you for our school system, for our teachers and administrators who are working so diligently to provide for our students. Pray that you would give them your grace and strength. We pray for our first responders, for the medical personnel who are staffing our hospitals. Please protect them as they care for those who are in need. And then, Lord, I pray for our own fellowship, that you would provide for us as we seek to nurture our Christian lives, and that you would seek help us to provide for the financial needs that are aware, that continue to be upon us in our church. Lord, most of all, I pray that this experience would be an avenue into a new rich experience of walking with you. That you would help us to discover what it is that you are doing in our own personal lives and how you might meet us in ways that we might not otherwise otherwise meet you, but through this time of difficulty. Thank you most of all for our assurance that you are on the throne and that you are governing this world and that all that is happening is progressing exactly as you direct it to happen. But Lord, I join with the prophet Habakkuk who prayed earnestly as he was watching you judge the nation of Israel. He prayed, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. God, would you remember mercy as our country and as our world suffers under this pandemic? Would you mercifully end it, bring it to a close, 
that we would have eyes to see whatever it is you want for us during this time. And that we would be reminded and experience the mercy of our Heavenly Father as it subsides and as we return to our lives as we used to experience them. But Lord, we know our lives will never be the same. These experiences change us. We pray that it will be for the better. Walking more closely with you. Encouraging one another at a deeper level. For your honor and for your glory. And for the furthering and the nurture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These things we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I'd like to encourage you now to push pause on the... uh, the web page and uh, to take a time out to go to YouTube. Uh, do a Google search for YouTube and, and pick one of your favorite hymns or Christian songs and just spend a moment in uh, worshiping and music. I do have a suggestion and that is the song, the hymn, Crown Him With Many Crowns. And as I Googled that title this week, I found some classic traditional arrangements I also found some contemporary arrangements that um, would be uh, consistent with uh, our worship style here at Three Lakes EFC. So I encourage you to take a moment and to listen to some music. And then as you do, perhaps you might take this time to make out your check for your offering that we would normally be taking during this time. Uh, or be thinking about how you might... Uh, uh, Continue to support the ministry of our church with your tithes and love gifts. But let's take, just take some time and uh, worship God through giving. And may, uh, may He bless you with a cheerful heart as you do so. Let's take a break and listen to some inspirational music this morning. Well, welcome back. Let's dive into God's Word together by turning in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. I'd like to continue my series of messages um, on the book of Colossians, which I'm calling The Christian Life in a Culture of Religious Pluralism. And today the title of my message is Christian Life. I'm going to be dealing with two verses from Colossians chapter chapter 2. Most of us know that in the Middle East, in Israel, there's a body of water known as the Dead Sea. This is a body of water that's 435 meters below the surface of the earth, below sea level, which means that the Jordan River and other tributaries drain into it. But the interesting thing about the Dead Sea is that there's no outlet. So once waters drain into the Dead Sea, they just stay there, and they grow stagnant. As a result, this is a body of water with the highest amount and concentration of salt in the entire world. No fish, no wildlife are around it. In fact, producers in Egypt come to the Dead Sea and they extract minerals from it, take it back to Egypt, and make material for which they embalm dead people. Everything about this body of water is dead. So it looks beautiful as you first look at it, but actually there is no evidence of life on it or under it or even around it. Now, thinking about this lifeless dead sea, 
Let's consider a question today. In our Christian lives, is there Christian life? We might say a person is a Christian if they attend church every day or every week or maybe two, three times a month. They read their Bibles a few times a week. Maybe they read online or download before uh, heading off to work some form of a devotional. They have reasonable discipline. They live a nice Christian life. Their their speech is controlled. They um, refrain from dangerous activities. However, it's one thing to have discipline, even a Christian lifestyle, but not have Christian life. There's a real issue with this. Does our Christian life have Christian life? So I'd like to propose this thought to surround our day, our thinking this morning. A genuine Christian is full of Christian life. The issue is this. If a tree has life, there will be leaves, there will be pine cones, there will be acorns, there will be those little seeds that are whirly birds that stop up our eave spouts. There will be fruit. There will be evidence that there is life in this tree. So considering our Christian life, will there be Christian life? I think a silver lining in this virus crisis that our culture is experiencing today is that our culture will have an opportunity to see real Christian life. When we stop and care for those in need, when we show compassion for those who are anxious, when we look in on shut-ins and serve in the food pantry, that's evidence that there is Christian life. But this is also a time for personal reflection, an opportunity to examine ourselves. And as we do, think about this. Do we really trust Jesus? I mean, really trust him. Am I still willing to invest in Christian ministry when we're going through difficulties? Do I ignore others who are in need when they are going through difficulties? Because I would suggest to you that a genuine Christian life is full of Christian life. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 and see if we can identify from these two verses Just what Christian life is. Paul writes, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The key phrase in these two verses is found in verse 6. Continue to live your lives in him. Paul is concerned that his readers live with Christian life. Not just go through the motions, but to have life in their living. And he calls it life in Christ, where we grow in him, where we thrive in him. Paul's desire is that we live Christian life with Christian life. So how do we do that? Well, these verses give us two ideas to consider on how to have Christian life in 
our Christian life. First, receive Christ as Lord. Now let's talk about this word receive, and then I'll make an application of what we mean by receiving Christ as Lord. Think with me of an imaginary situation in a family. Let's say there's a a family who receives two house guests in their home, each one for three weeks. The first house guest we'll call Silent Sam. Silent Sam moves into the guest room, stays for three weeks, and during his stay and after he leaves, you never know that he was there. And here's why. He's the perfect house guest. He leaves early in the morning and comes home late at night, and he's quiet on both ends, doesn't disturb anyone. Has a bowl of cereal in the morning and does the dishes before he leaves. Always cleans the bathroom after he uses it. Makes the bed, picks up his clothes. Parks his car on the street so he doesn't block anybody in the driveway. And when he's around, he has a pleasant disposition. Always smiles, shows genuine interest in what people are talking about. and keeps his own ideas to himself so that he fits in quite well. And when his three weeks are up, he leaves with a very nice thank you card and a Bible verse on the bed. What a nice guy. It's really good having him around. That's Silent Sam. Well, then the next house guest comes to this imaginary family. And let's call him Make a Difference Malcolm. He influences everything. The weeds are pulled up from around the shrubs. Every week, the garbage containers are at the road, ready to be picked up. And Mom notices her two sons talking through an argument. Here's what they're saying. Malcolm said that if we take the time to understand each other's point of view, we usually end up wanting the same thing. So let's help each other succeed. Mom notices that conversation and files it in her mind. At 4 o'clock, their teenage daughter is reading a book instead of watching MTV and checking Snapchat and texting friends, usually all at the same time. She asks her what's going on, and she says this. Malcolm gave me this novel about a demon named Screwtape and his nephew student named Wormwood. I started it last night. I can't put this book down. Mom remembers that. And then she notices some cultic rap CDs from her son's CD collection that are in the wastebasket. She catches her son's eye and she says, Malcolm, right? And her son goes, Dad comes home from work with a smile. And he asks her how her day went. Takes time to listen with eye contact and verbal feedback. And then he dives into the sink full of dirty dishes and then he comments, Boy, that Malcolm has a way of explaining what it means to be a real man. You know, I'm kind of enjoying this. During supper, there was a conversation about supporting a compassion child from Ethiopia. Malcolm smiles. After supper, Malcolm brings mom a cup of chai latte, begins a conversation about how much he respects her husband and how hard he works to provide for the family. And then later on in the evening, when the kids are in bed, 
he knocks on Malcolm's uh, on Dad's door on the study and comments that he really enjoyed watching his wife nurture and care for these children. And he leaves husband's room and gets a gets a chai latte and goes over to mom and sits down and has a conversation with her and and just reminds her of how how much he respects her husband for how hard he works to provide for the family. Well, the next morning at breakfast, everyone asks Malcolm how long he's planning to stay. And he reminds them that his three weeks are up and that he has to prepare and, and leave and move on later that day. So after he leaves, there's a thank you card. But this time there's a note outlining how Jesus changed his life and an invitation to attend Malcolm's church on Sunday. Well, about a week later, the family connected together, and one of them said, Do you remember Silent Sam? Everyone scratched their head and said, Well, actually not really. He's a nice guy, but there's really not much to remember. But Malcolm, it's just not been the same without Malcolm around the house. He influenced everything. You know, some Christians think that receiving Jesus means that we ask him into our lives so that he can be silent Sam in our lives. To be a really nice guy. A pleasure to be around. A pleasure to have around. But he really has no influence on us. Contrast that with make a difference Malcolm. Malcolm models what it means to receive Jesus as Lord. Jesus doesn't become a silent Sam when he enters our lives. We invite Jesus to poke his head into everything. Home, school, and business, our neighborhoods. We invite Jesus to challenge our assumptions, to disrupt our routines and push us out of our comfort zones. We're no longer in control of our lives. When Jesus is our Lord, actually we feel a little vulnerable. What's he going to ask me to do today? What's he going to ask me to to think about today? Where's he going to ask me to go today? Jesus influences our routines, influences our behavior, influences our discussions. You see, I really don't believe it's possible to receive Jesus without him being Lord. He radiates from us to others and people know that we are followers of Jesus when we receive him as Lord. But I'd like to get a little bit more specific with this idea of Jesus being our Lord. That's found in the next phrase of this verse. He says, just as you were taught. You see, Jesus doesn't enter into our lives and then leave us guessing about how to live. He brings us clear and objective guidelines for living. He even wrote them down for us so that we'd have free access to it. And he challenges us to obey his guidelines. And since Jesus is our treasure, we want to please him. So with this phrase, Paul talks about how his readers were taught the word of God. He's reminding us that there is a body of teaching that becomes our God for, our guide for living. And Bible scholars have identified a body of what we call apostolic teaching. 
It appears often in the same form in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 refers to the early church devoting itself to the apostles' teaching. In Acts chapter 16, 5, Paul refers to the faith, speaking of a standard teaching that all the churches were to follow. This body of teaching is found in the Gospels. Much of the same material then is found in the epistles of Paul and then again in the epistle of Peter. Peter. All over the New Testament are these common themes of the apostles' teaching. One example is the admonition to submit to the civil authorities. Jesus taught it when he says, give unto Caesar. Paul taught it in Romans 13 when he says, submit the authority of the government. And then Peter teaches it in chapter 2, almost the exact same thing, almost the exact same phrase. You see, it's important for us to see several themes that go throughout the New Testament. And it's an, it seems like it's an intentional corpus of material that the apostles teach in the New Testament, instruction for the Christian life of a Christian household the development of certain Christian virtues, true Christian community, the importance of grace and forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit, how we are to conduct ourselves towards unbelievers and watchfulness for the second coming. As you read and reread the New Testament, you'll notice these themes are repeated often over and over. So when Paul refers to his readers being taught he knew exactly what he was talking about. A body of teaching explained by the apostles, organized by the apostles, and a discipleship curriculum that represented the teaching of Jesus. So when Paul says that his readers received Jesus as Lord, he was referring to the fact that they invited him into every area of their lives and that they learned and obeyed everything that Jesus taught, the apostolic teaching of the apostles. May I remind us that in the 21st century, it's not like a hundred years ago or even a generation ago. We are living in a culture of religious pluralism and families must be equipped to defend our faith as never before. Culture is not just standing by allowing us to live passively as believers anymore. Culture is aggressively trying to take our Christian lifestyle away. Some say it's a post-Christian culture. And in order to maintain a life worthy of the gospel, Jesus must be Lord. And when he is, when we obey what the apostles taught, that's the Christian life within our Christian life. Well, not only do we receive Jesus as Lord, secondly, these two verses teach us, we need to renew our commitment to him. Some of us might remember the definition of insanity. Do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Like a person who doesn't know how to play charades very well, they give a, a bad clue and they can't think of anything else, and so they just spend more time going with the same clue, expecting that their team is going to guess it when they just give the same clue over and over again. So if you're giving a bad clue and just keep doing it over and over again, that would be 
insanity. Same in life. If you're making a bad decision over and over again and think that this time it's going to turn out differently, that's insanity. But if you're making a godly decision according to what you have been taught, then doing the same thing over and over again is not insane at all. Paul gives us the command to live in Christ. This is a command that's in a present continuous tense. Notice verse 5. For although I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul recognizes the the Colossians are already doing quite well in their lives. In fact, in the first verse words of verse 7, he calls he says that they're rooted in their faith, telling them they already have been grounded in Christ. This verb is a, a past tense where the completed action in the past has continued effects into the present and future. That means that they are already rooted, firmly planted in Christ. They had already welcomed his influence into their lives, into their homes, into the way they related to culture. Therefore, this command to live in Christ is not a command to begin doing something they've not already been doing. Rather, it's a command not to be complacent, not to be satisfied, not to relax. Paul is admonishing them to renew their commitment to receiving the influence of Jesus in their lives. He says they are to be built up in him, strengthened in the faith. This phrase means the image of building a building. Literally, build on and strengthen something that already exists. The idea here is that we are to take intentional steps to avoid being stagnant like the Dead Sea and renew our faith, building on what already exists, strengthening what already exists, and that speaks to me of renewal of our commitment to live according to what we have been taught. In the world of sports, once you're on top, it's very difficult to stay on top. I remember when Alabama won the national championship back in 2018, and Coach Saban was interviewed. And in that interview, he said, repeating in 2019 would be much more difficult than becoming champions in 2018 because they would do nothing different. They'd tackle the same. They'd block the same. They would defend the same. They would pass the same. They would run the same. They would do the same things. But he said, but we're going to have to have a renewed commitment to do those things the best we can or we're going to get knocked off of number one. Well, if you know your college football history, that's exactly what happened when they lost to Clemson in 2019. And it wasn't even close. It was 44 to 19. See, this is a fundamental reason why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper so that we could renew our commitment, not do something new, but to renew what we're already doing. Because once you have some joy in your faith, it's easy to relax, to rest on past answers to prayer, 
to rest on past victories over sin. It's easy to coast. If we do that, we'll get knocked off. To have Christian life and keep it alive, we must renew our commitment to continue to do everything we did to find freedom and then do it again. And renew our commitment just like God renews his commitment every day that his grace is new every morning. So when we place these two verses together, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, remember a key principle from the Bible, and it's this. God always offers his grace to receive before he gives us a command to obey. For example, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the first thing he says is, I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He rescued them. He gave his grace. He he gave them freedom from their slavery. He offered them to, to trust in his grace. Only after he gave them grace to receive did he give them a command to obey. And I think that happens in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Receiving Jesus as Lord, welcoming his influence in every area of our life, that's a grace to receive. And once we receive it, then we renew our commitment to him. That's the command to obey. The grace that we receive enables us to obey the command. So, I would suggest that that's how we look at these two verses and how we can have life in our Christian life. But let me give us a warning. Here's a very important clarification about Christian life. It's quite common to measure Christian life by discussing how busy we are in Christian activities. This idea says that if we're busier now than we used to be, if we're doing more things than we're used to do, then that's why that's the way for us to renew our commitment to live according to what we were taught. I recently found a spiritual growth assessment tool from Lifeway Resources, very good Christian uh, publishing company. And this assessment tool identified six areas of behavior where I needed to evaluate myself. I needed to practice meditation, Fasting, silence, self-denial, sacrificial giving, and prayer and Bible reading. Now, those are good things to do. And so they gave me some graphs. They gave me some charts to fill out. And I was supposed to evaluate myself on a scale of 1 to 10 on all six of these areas. I was supposed to practice meditation, fasting and silence, and self-denial, sacrificial giving, and prayer and Bible study. And I was to personally grow in those areas. And so if this year I was a five, next year they challenged me to set goals so I could be a seven. And I was supposed to set goals for how I would recommit by increasing my level of activity. And I have to be real honest with you. When I, when I looked at that inventory, I got quite agitated because I realized that not only was I going to fail, I would be absolutely exhausted in my failures. (laughs) Because 
activity does not equate Christian life. Christian life is when there is renewal in the activity already in motion, and like God's mercies, they are renewed. But it's not frenetic. It's depth. It's walking with God. So what does that look like? It looks like discussing our feelings, getting below the surface in our conversations, taking off our masks, having close and safe relationships. It means perseverance in times of difficulty and hardship, like we're going through now with the COVID-19 um, uh, spread. It's joyful repentance as a lifestyle. It's abounding in thanksgiving, as Paul says in, in chapter 7, or verse 7. You see, the Dead Sea looks like water with life, but there is no life. But I think that the Bible uses the Dead Sea to illustrate God's grace and how we might live in obeying the things that we were taught with great joy. And the illustration is expounded for us in Ezekiel chapter 47. So I close with just a few verses from Ezekiel chapter 47. The prophet Ezekiel uses this image of the Dead Sea to help us understand God's grace and how we might be able to have Christian life in our Christian life. He opens up chapter 47 by giving us the image of a river that flows out of the temple. And of course, the temple is where God makes sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins and for giving us the gift of eternal life. Where there's healing, where there's life in the sacrifices that all point to Jesus. And so the image is of a river that flows out of the temple with the blessing and power of Jesus. And here's how he develops that image. In verse 6, he asks Ezekiel, What is it that you see? And he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will be living wherever their river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows and makes the salt water fresh. So wherever the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore and God will place the spreading and they will place spreading nets on the water and fish will be many, all like fish like the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will become fresh. They will be, they will be not left for salt. Fruit trees, all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. You see, that's Christian life. And that Christian life comes to our Dead Sea when we receive Jesus as Lord, living as we were taught, and then as we make a recommitment to follow him, 
with new commitment every day. May I encourage us to uh, live our lives that way today in the midst of what we're facing as a culture and a church. May God's grace envelop us and then may we have his grace and strength to walk after, after what we were taught and their experience life in our Christian life. Join with me in prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to trust you and receive your grace, to receive Jesus as our Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would receive Jesus as make a difference Malcolm, not silent Sam, and that we would become a make a difference Malcolm, thereby showing life in our Christian life. May we renew our commitment to you, not necessarily in activities, but in love and in joy and in dedication, knowing then that there will indeed be life in our Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we close today, I'd like to encourage you to uh, go back to YouTube and find maybe your favorite song and, and spend a moment singing and, and thinking about the Lord by music. I, I do have a personal suggestion for you. If you, uh, Google YouTube and you Google a music group named Shane and Shane, who have an arrangement of a great song called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Boy, what a great promise in the midst of the uncertainties that we're facing. He will hold me fast. Shane and Shane, I think you'll enjoy it. Well, we'll see you next Sunday morning as we continue to meet together as a church over the Internet. God bless you during this week is our prayer.